If you have your Bibles, you can turn with them to the book of James. The book of James, chapter 4. And then I actually figured out a way to go back to Ephesians. So if you can... <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. So you can have your finger in there for a little bit later on. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Now in the context, uh, he's talking about those who wealthy merchants. He's addressing these wealthy merchants who are dealing with a lot of pride and arrogance about their ability to control their lives. And here's the response in verse 13. Come now you who say today or tomorrow you will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and, and, and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. In verse 13, these are people who are planning their lives. They're planning their futures without thought of God, without thought of God and his plans. If anything, they are operating as functional atheists. They believe in God, but they're acting and living as though there is no God. Or some of them may be dealing with the Adam and Eve syndrome, namely, I am God. They decide, as it says in verse 13, where they will go. They decide when they will go. They decide how long they will stay. Does this sound familiar to you at all? At least as I read the text, it sounds familiar to me because it sounds so much like me. You see, I can believe in God up here. And as a pastor, of course, I believe all the theological truths that I've come to understand in God's word about who he is. But a lot of times, if I'm honest, I live as though he does not exist. Or I operate in the Adam and Eve syndrome, trying to replace him with the way at which I myself want to live out my own life. If I'm honest, there are times in my life where I want to be God and I want to do things my way. And where do I see this most? I see this most in the need for, and what I see here in the book of James, the pursuit of control. Control. I want to ask you a question. And I want you a question not up here, but I want you to answer the question down here. And it's this. If you could control that situation in your life right now that is out of your control, would you or would you leave it to God or would you take control of it yourself? That area, I want you to identify it because each one of us has that place in our lives where, where we want to push the control button. And I want to ask you at a heart level, if you could push the control button right now and God gave you the ability to do with what you want in that situation, would you choose to take it in your own hands and control it, or would you give it over to his will for him to control it? Would you change that life-altering event that just totally changed the fabric of your life? If you could push the control button, would you change that, that, that daily hassle in your life that you wish would just finally dissipate if you could push the control button would you would you get that recognition that you've always been deserving that you that you've constantly been overlooked if you could push the control button would you gain that pregnancy that you've been longing for for so long would you embark on that career endeavor that's been evading you would you finally get that financial success that you've been longing for? If you could push the control button, would you, would you fix that part of you? You know that part of you. That part of you that, that you wake up every morning wishing were different. That character flaw. 
that personality trait, that physical attribute. If you could push the change button, the control button, would you change the people around you? Husbands, wives, would you finally get your spouse to stop doing blank? Would you get your husband or wife to to finally do blank? Would you get the people, young people at your school, treating you with more kindness? You know that crowd that, 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 that maybe you wish that you could be in the in crowd with? What if you could push the control button and you were the in crowd? See, here's the reality. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Vanishes. Here's the reality. We don't have the power to control anything. We can't push the control button. Verse 14 is telling us we are not God and we know it. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're really honest with ourselves, deep down inside at least, at the minimum, that's frustrating. And in the maximum, and at its worst, it's hair-pulling madness. The fact that right now, you can't push that control button. You see, mist in verse 14 was a very prevalent Old Testament metaphor for the transitory, like grass, like shadow, like clouds, like smoke. And many of our hearts long for what verse verse 14 is telling us is a myth. And yet we know that control is a myth, and yet we still wrestle and fight for it. You see, James is telling us that you can't control time, you can't control events, you can't control results, and you can't control outcomes. I mean, do you understand how little control you came into this world with? Think about it. You didn't control the time you were born. You didn't control the place that you were born. You didn't control your genetics. You didn't control your parents. I know some of y'all wish you could have. You couldn't control your ethnicity. You didn't control your talents, your gifts, your personality, your status in society, your eye color, your hair texture. Nothing about you is self-determined. Nothing. Because if we're honest, if we could control we wouldn't be who we are right now in some way, shape, or form. You see, control is a facade. And yet some of us right now are catching the mist. Or as that old school rap song said, we catching the vapors. Even now, the truth of this statement, that we don't have control, is hard to hear. Because you can't control the daily struggles and you wish you could. You can't control the relationships around you, and you wish you could. There's no second take on that medical diagnosis. There's no second take to the injustice that you've experienced. There's nothing you can do about that event that you wished never happened. There's nothing you can do about that thing that you so badly want to control if you could. I want to ask you this morning, what is it for you? Maybe it's one thing. Maybe it's five things. What are the things that you wish right now that you could control? Because here are our typical responses to the things that we wish that we could control. I want to name a few of them. And as I name these responses, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit of God, even as I'm talking, to identify those things in your own heart. To admit to him, yes, that's me in light of the fact that I want control in this area of my life. The first one for some of you is when you feel like you want to get control, 
you try to make more effort and work harder to control the very thing that you can't control. And the problem with that perspective and that approach is that it doesn't really change the thing that you're trying to control. Usually what it does is it makes things worse. When you're fighting to control the thing you can't control, then you end up in frustration, depression, bitterness, anger, resentment. And yet some of us are still right now trying to wrestle control. That's the first response. There's the second one. If we can't wrestle control, then we try to find another God who can replace the area of control that we so long for. We see this with the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed, everybody say delayed, to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together, Aaron, and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. You notice the word delayed. Everybody say delayed. Some of us right now are in the hall room or hallway of waiting. How many people like to wait? Okay. Nobody raised their hand. Parents, just an aside, one of the greatest things that you can do in teaching your kids and how to relate to God in a way of trust and reliance is teach them how to wait. If they don't learn how to wait now, they're going to learn it hard when they become an adult, because God makes you wait. And we get tired of waiting like the children of Israel. And so what do we do? We craft the God of our own making. We, 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 we have to replace the God that, that we're, we're so-called waiting for. And so we run to the other relationship in the midst of the thing that we can't control. We quit that job to get a better one. We, we look up and ask the question of chat GPT. You ever heard about, you heard, heard about that? That's creepy. That's real creepy. Artificial intelligence. I mean, people were saying things like, I, a buddy of mine, I'm on a little blog, on a little uh, thread, and he's, uh, he's Chinese, and so he said, chat, G, chat GPT, can you give me a tear-jerking homily for Asian-American immigrants? And it broke out this whole, like, sermon that had me almost weeping from a computer. You see, when, when we can't control the thing and, and, we're, and God is delaying in the area where, where we want to get control, we got to find another voice, another God. We got to look to Dr. So-and-so. We got to look to that next influencer. We got we to get, get that next financial guru. We got we to depend on that next product because that thing is going to ultimately give me what I've needed because I can't control this area. So, so maybe another God will do. And we say to that thing, just like Aaron said to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 32, verse 4, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it into a craving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You see, when we can't control the very thing that we want that's going to bring us whatever we're desiring, what do we do? We look to make it a God, and we claim it to be God, and, and we look to it for God because we got to have somebody to deliver us from our Egypt. How many of you are all in Egypt right now? But there's a third thing that we do when we can't control things is that we question God's goodness, wisdom, and love. Maybe that's you right now. We retort like the psalmist, why, O oh Lord? Do you hear yourself saying that perhaps in that area of your life? Why, O oh Lord? Psalm 42, 9. Why do you hide yourself, Lord, from my troubles? Psalm 10, 1. Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? You ever feel like God's forgotten you? In that area that you just can't control, does that communicate to you that maybe God just passed you by? Or maybe he's lost his attention. How long, O oh Lord? Maybe you're here where you feel like God's goodness, love, and wisdom is no longer applied to where you find yourself right now. And there's a fourth way that we can respond 
when we don't have control of the things that we wish we had control. And it's envy. We envy the life that someone else has that we wish we had. At times we feel as if God has singled us out for what we feel is an unusual difficulty and when the person sitting next to us seems to be blessed. Have you ever been there? And the blessing that they got, they're not stewarding it so well. You ever felt that way? If I had that, oh boy. I'd do so much more with it than that person is. I'd give more glory to God than that person is. I'd give him more recognition. I'd get more out of that than he or she is. I can understand all of these emotions and feelings because I feel them and I fight with every single one. This is our anniversary also today as a church. 23 years. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, this 23rd year, the one thing that I reflected on is some of our frustrations. Are the areas in this ministry that we don't have control over? I mean, our worship team did a good job this morning. Amen? And they do a good job week after week after week after week after week after week after week. You feel, can you feel me? You feel me wanting to push that control button? I'm sure our worship team sometimes wants to push that control button. They've been faithful for now over an entire year. And sometimes I wonder, God, why? We have been faithful to you for 23 years as a church. Why have you made us wait for over a year to find a worship director? Why the stress and the strain that's been applied to our brothers and sisters who week after week are leading us in worship? Why, God, won't you meet us? I found myself in anxiety and envy as I consider the building campaign. And we're still sitting on the edge of our seat wondering, are we going to get this building? If I could push the control button right now, we'd have a new church. But for some reason up to this point, God has yet to give us that. And here's the truth, church, as we celebrate 23 years. God may not give us this church. I understand these feelings of envy. I understand these feelings of God, where is your love? In my journal just recently, I wrote, I was walking to my car after work from the office in Pasadena, pondering what's at the bottom of the hum of my anger in my life. I'm angry. I'm angry that I wasn't good enough to be more than I am right now and have more than I do as now an almost 50-year-old man. And I'm tired. That's why I'm angry. I'm tired of always operating from a deficit. A deficit of time, energy, money, emotions. One moment of suffering after another, year after year, decade after decade. Disappointment after another. Can't get the church where I want it. The personal and familial challenges never end in each compartment of of my life. And I envy. I envy your life. I envy other people's lives. If I could have another one, I would. And the fact that I'm limited and can do nothing to change what has been and what is, is why I hum. It's why I hum with anger, because I hate not having control. How about you? Where do you want to be God in your moment? You see, our functional atheism and our Adam and Eve syndrome leave us angry, bitter, frustrated, full of unforgiveness, Anxious preoccupation, fearful, 
And eventually you will find yourself burned out, beat down, and tired. And at the bottom of all of this desire for control in my life and in yours is the desire to just be at rest. Isn't that kind of what you want? I just want rest. Just this deep abiding sense that it is well with my soul. And I believe the things around me that I'm incessantly chasing will give me that rest. And this is why in our hearts we want to be God. Because frankly, if we were honest, we believe that we could probably do a better job than he is right now. Sure, you don't want to rule the entire universe like he does. But it would be nice to rule your universe, maybe at least for a day. So here's the question I have for us. What reality, if you embrace it by faith, will grant you the rest that you long for, even if whatever you're trying to control remains the same? What James tells us in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James is telling us we don't have control. But what the scriptures teach us in verse 15 here is that God in heaven does. He says first in verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will live. Namely, he has control of life. Every breath that is breathed belongs to God. But not only that, he says in verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Not only does he control life, not only does he control every single breath, He also controls the this and the that. James is telling us that you don't have control, but the God of the scriptures does. And if we look at Ephesians chapter 1, the control that he has is total. Verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, everybody say all things, in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 10 tells us all things. See, Paul here gives the range of God's will or control. Things in heaven and things on earth. Every single thing in between is under his control. The disappointments, the missed opportunities, the rejections and injustices. I want you to tell yourself, say this out loud with me, all things. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, everybody say all things, according to the counsel of his will. Now verse 11 is telling us that we have obtained an inheritance. This inheritance is according to, or a better word maybe to understand according to, verse 11, on the basis of the purpose of him who works all all things. So verse 10, God unites all things. Verse 11, he works all things. The reason that you can be confident in the inheritance of verse 11 is based on the reality of the fact that he works all things. And all things, Paul uses 
three indications in verse 11. He stacks three words to help you to understand the magnitude of all things. First, he uses in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose, everybody say purpose, of him who works all things according to the counsel, everybody say counsel, of his will, everybody say will. So the all things of verse 10 that are going to be united, the all things of verse 11 that God is working, all of these things, all of these things are under the trifecta of his purpose, verse 11, his counsel, verse 11, and his will. Paul is stacking three realities of the all things that God has control over with three different Greek words so you feel the weight of it. Because what we're seeing in verse 11 is the scope of God's control. And it is total. Verse 10, he gives us the range of his control. Heaven and earth. Verse 11, he gives us the depth of his control. Purpose, counsel, and will. Verses 10 and 11, he gives us the scope of his control. All things. Paul is going overboard to help us feel the reality and the gravity of the control of God. This is what it means for God to be sovereign. Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 says, All, in the, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, as he does according to his what? Will among the hosts of heaven. Do you understand the hosts of heaven? Do you understand the hosts of heaven? When we get to heaven, the hosts will be clearing the glory of God. They are multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes. And among all the hosts of heaven, his will is done. And among the inhabitants of the earth, he then takes it to the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Total control. Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For by him and through him and to him are what, everyone? All things to him be glory forever and amen. From him, all things, that's origin. Through him, all things, that's agency. To him, all things, that means he is the recipient of all the glory. Total control. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him, what's those two words, everyone? All things were created in heaven, scope, and earth, scope, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. What's those two words, everyone? All things were created through him. This is talking about Jesus. And they were created for him. And he is before what? All things. And in him what? All, in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is the very glue of the fabric of the universe. Total control. And if you're wondering whether all things mean something else, I know we're going there. I know those intellectual, it's stirring. Really? All things? Now, I'm not going to get into all the philosophical challenges with all that with y'all today. If y'all want to talk about it, we can talk about it. I'm just telling you what God's Word says. I can't explain the Trinity, but God's Word teaches it. Amen? 
and ain't no philosopher going to be able to help you to understand three in one. That's what makes God, God. You don't get him and you never will, which is why you will worship him for an eternity and stand in awe of him forever. But if in case you didn't think all things means all things, Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? We're talking about sparrows worth a penny. And not one of them, all things, not one of them will fall to the ground. It doesn't say that he knows that they fall to the ground. They won't fall to the ground apart from your father. He's involved in it. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. You realize that you never have the same amount of hair on your head. And yet God knows every single one all the time. If you're wondering whether or not he meant all things, he means all things. Total control. But not only that, not only is he in control of of the most small and what we would think inconsequential things, he is also in control of the greatest events in history, namely the greatest event in history, Acts chapter 4, verse 27 through 28. For truly, as Peter is preaching, in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, God anointed. Do you know what anointment mean? anointing is? It's choosing. It's ordaining. He anointed both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan. That's the same word in Ephesians for counsel. The counsel of his will has predestined to take place. The greatest event in history. And here's the reality. Herod did evil. Pontius Pilate did evil. The Gentiles did evil. And Israel did evil. God is even in the injustices. All things. God is in your injustices. And he's got a plan. This is why Solomon would declare Proverbs 16, 33, the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. As Paul Tripp says, Your Lord never has questions, never surprised, never frustrated, never wonders. He's never greeted with mystery. He never wishes he could have, never looks back with regret. He's never hoping. He's never waiting. He's never helpless. He's nothing. There's nothing that he can't figure out, and he never finds himself at a loss. This is our God. In R.C. Sprawl, when he talks about the control of God, the, the sovereignty of God, He says, I like to explain it this way. If there is one molecule in the universe running loose, outside of the control of God's sovereignty, what I like to call one maverick molecule. Because by all things, that means that there's not one maverick molecule in the universe. There's not one that is not under the total control of God all the time. And he says, if there's one maverick molecule in the universe, then the practical implications for us as Christians is that we have no guarantee whatsoever that any future promise that God has made to his people will come to pass. Do you get that? Remember, he says this, when you were a little kid, you learned a little rhyme. I didn't learn this rhyme. R.C. Sproul is old, so he... He's told some rhyme that I ain't never heard, but this was the rhyme. For want of nail, 
the shoe was lost. For want of the shoe, the horse was lost. For want of the horse, the rider was lost. For want of the rider, the battle was lost. For want of the battle, the war was lost. Just off the loss of a little nail. He goes on to say, if we have one maverick molecule running loose out there, we have no assurance whatsoever that this single molecule may not be the grain of sand in the machinery of God's eternal plan. It may be that the thing that runs amok, it makes it impossible ultimately for Christ to return to this planet. It may be the thing that destroys any hope for the consummation of the kingdom of God leaving all those promises of God unfulfilled. If there's one maverick molecule that runs amok, and you can't even know whether or not you will or will not ultimately gain the salvation that has been promised to you in Jesus. And here's a question for those of you in Christ. And if you're not in Jesus Christ today, please hear me. Please hear me. Because you want to be in Christ. Because sometimes we think about the sovereignty of God and we think that's not fair. We think, man, God, why do you have to be so? Why can't you just give us? Here's my question. What is God doing with all of those molecules especially for those in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That word purpose in verse 5 is eudokion. What verse 5 is saying is predestined. Another word for predestined is destiny, okay? So verse 5 is talking about the destiny of your life. What is your destiny? Your destiny is determined, verse 5, by the will of God, the purpose of his will. In his destiny, it accords with his purpose. So your destiny is on the basis of God's purpose, period. And predestined means before you were even an it. Before you were even a thought, your destiny was already determined. I know that goes against a whole lot of American stuff that you be hearing on TV about you go for your destiny and you got a destiny and the... the that's a bunch of hogwash. That word purpose in verse 5, a stronger, maybe more colorful interpretation of eudakion is good pleasure. So read verse 5 as good pleasure. He, he, he gave you a destiny for adoption in the family of God to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. This means that you are, if you are in Christ Jesus right now, your destiny, regardless of where you are or what it looks like, has the good pleasure of God written all over it. That place that you want to control that place where, where you're saying, God, if I could have the button, I'd switch it, I'd change it. That place that you want to change and control is your destiny. And that destiny that's going to bring you into that adoption where you will be in heaven in his family as you are now and into eternity is determined by the reality of the fact that wherever you are, whatever you wish you could control is under the good pleasure of God if you are in Christ Jesus. 
You see, eudakion refers to the pleasure and delight in one's heart that forms the basis of a decision. Here's the other part. Now, you got to think about this. Before you were even thought of in your mother's womb, you know what that's saying? God's delight was already on you. His smile was already toward you. He destined you from the basis of his, according to, according to the purpose, from the basis of his good pleasure in Christ He is pleasured in and by you. He repeats it in verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his, and that's the same Greek word there, good pleasure which he set forth in Christ as a plan. You see, the exercise of his sovereign control The fact that God is in total control of all things. The exercise of this kind of control from this kind of God, if you are in Christ, is over you for an eternal destiny that is fueled by his delight. I've said it before, but the most important thing one writer wrote about you is not just what you think of God, but what God thinks of you. And so Paul Tripp says, the sovereignty of God is not as some of us may picture it, God up in heaven moving all the chess pieces, removed and just navigating things to his purpose and will. Sometimes when we think of the sovereignty of God, we have that picture. But Paul Tripp says, What we see here in Ephesians is what Paul is teaching, a theology of imminent sovereignty. That God is sovereignty near. His purpose is that kind of constant control of our living. And so he's near to each one of us. So at any moment, he can reach out and touch you. If the sovereignty of God doesn't depict to you that God is near to you, that God is active, that, then you have misunderstood the sovereignty of God. In that way, the sovereignty of God should not discourage me. Imminent sovereignty should encourage me to feel cared for. Because what is out of my control is always under his control. And his good pleasure is toward me in it. And it means that when I need help, he's near. Because he's right there. And here's the reality about the sovereignty and total control of God. It's impossible for you to ever be in a situation or in a location or in a relationship where God is not ruling. It's impossible. Oh, if that doesn't bring you joy, peace, rest, and encouragement, I don't know what will. I'm going to ask you this question. What if you were Joseph? What if you were Joseph? Joseph was in a pit, Potiphar and prison. If you were Joseph, what would you have done if you were given the control by Better yet, what do you think Joseph would have done if he would have been given the control button? If I was him, I would have been up out that pit. Amen? The moment they threw me down there and I dusted myself off, boop, control button. Get me up out of here. Y'all are tripping. And then I would have put the control button to it. I mean, he had a lot of brothers. I Superman strength so I could whoop all y'all for doing what y'all just did to me. Control button. Are you you getting what I'm feeling here? Are 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 you hearing what I'm saying here? 
What would have happened if he came out the pit? An entire nation would not have been saved. Molecule. Molecule. But here's the reality. You're in Egypt. And if we're honest, you don't want to be in your pit right now. If you're honest, you're sick and tired of living in Potiphar's house with that crazy old woman. If you're honest, you're tired of being in that prison. No, we have, we have to try to put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. I'm being serious. That brother helped that dude out in jail, and homie just forgot him. Come on, man. That's cold-blooded. And jails and prisons wasn't like today, y'all. You ain't getting no, 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 no. Three squares and no, uh-uh. And a, and a day out on the yard, whatever. It ain't happening. Can you perhaps imagine what Joseph was feeling in the midst of the fact that he could not control areas where he wished he could have controlled? What about you and your pit? But God was gracious not to let him out of that pit. How does it sound when you're in the pit, though? I'm being gracious, Joseph. This is my goodness toward you, Joseph. But after God worked out his plan, his plan, and he worked all things according to his will, Joseph saw the bigger picture. And when his brother stood before him, what did he say? Oh, God allowed it. Oh, God permitted it. See, we like to say words like that to make us feel better about sovereignty. Right? Oh, God allowed it. No, 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 no. What God meant, everybody say meant. There is a meaning in that area that you want control over. It is ordained for you. God isn't just passively sitting back allowing stuff to happen, and he knows that would happen. He's not just saying, well, yeah, I'll permit this and I won't permit. No, he is actively meaning things in your life that you wish right now you could control that feel out of control and chaotic. Because there's a bigger counsel and a bigger will that is beyond your vision. But what you can know is this, his good pleasure is towards you. So I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you this question again. If you could control your situation, would you? What picture of God do you see controlling things that you wish you could control? What's the picture of God that you see? Who right now in your life is controlling the very thing that you wish that you could control? Parenting has helped me to understand a little bit. It's kind of sad because I haven't understood it as much as I should because I struggle so much with God being in control and me not. If I'm being honest, even as I'm preaching this, I'm thinking about situations in my life right now that I, man, just I wish I had control. But he gives this analogy from parenting. When I tell my kids something that they have to do, when I tell them about a situation and how it's going to look and how it's going to be, when I, when I put them in situations and circumstances that they're uncomfortable with and they don't like, 
and they begin to gripe and complain. He said, I would kneel down in front of them at eye level. And these are conversations I have with my children. And all my young people, I'm sure your parents have said some of these similar things that you just kind of roll your eyes at. You're sick and tired of them saying the same old thing. I would say, look at your daddy's face. Do you know how much I love you? Do you know what your daddy is trying to do? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not a bad man. Do you know that I'd never asked you to do anything that would hurt you, make you sick? And I'm sorry that you can't understand why I'm asking you to do this thing. I wish I could explain it to you, but you're just too young to understand. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Trust me. Just trust your daddy in this. And when you walk down that hallway and you begin to think about the things that I've asked you to do and the things that I'm bringing your way, I want you to tell yourself when you're walking down that hallway, my daddy loves me. My daddy would never ask me to do something bad. I'm going to trust my daddy and I'm going to stop trying to be daddy. And now I want you right now, right now, right now, right now, in that area, right now. You're in that hallway right now, right now, right now. You're in that hallway, are you not? Or am I just in the hallway? And I want you to picture God right in that hallway with you. And I want you to hear him say, even though you don't have a clue what I'm doing, I know you want it another way. But can you trust me? It's not what you think it is. That thing that you're trying to control, it won't bring you what your heart is truly long, yearning for. Listen, I know you want to write your story, but that belongs to me. And here's the reality. You are my delight. You're my pleasure. So let go and allow me to pour all my pleasure and delight on you in this. I know in this hallway, it feels overwhelming. I know you're going to feel bewildered and confused. I know you're going to get bitter and angry. But when those feelings come, bring them to me. And allow me to remind you all over again, I am God. And my good pleasure and delight are on you. And that the rest that you're longing for won't come in me giving you more understanding. It's not going to come in getting it your way. The rest that you're longing for is going to be found when you simply trust me. If you could control that situation in your life that is out of your control, would you? Or would you leave it for God to do what he wills? That's the question of the heart. You see, we balk at the sovereignty of God. We use it for intellectual gymnastics. We decry its truth. So we can feel like we have some measure of agency and autonomy. We want to feel some measure of fairness. 
But the sovereignty of God is not used in the scriptures so much as an intellectual exercise. As significant and important as it is. It's used as an experience designed to bring you rest. If you question me, that's exactly how Jesus, the King of Kings, used it. He didn't use it to get into a philosophical debate. He used it in Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 30, for this reason. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Because of the fact that he is sovereign, what can Jesus say to you? Fear not. Therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. That's how the God of the universe has used the sovereignty of God to comfort us in our deep anxiety. The fact that he is in control is the most profound anchoring reality if we just lay hold of it. It will anchor you like no other reality that is God. If there's any attribute of God that will ground you and root you and bring you contentment, rest, and peace, it is the total control and sovereignty of God. Because you are omni-nothing. Why would you want to control the thing that you're saying you want to control? you would have screwed your life up a long time ago. You would have been jumping out of pits like crazy. Instead, in Christ, in Christ, you have an omni-everything God. All wise, all knowing, all loving, all good, holy, just, kind, magnificent. And he's exercising all of who he is toward you in Christ Jesus in your pit. This is why all she sprawl says as I begin to close. To me, there is nothing more comforting than knowing that there is a God of providence who is aware not only of every one of my transgressions, but every one of my tears, every one of my aches, and every one of my fears. Pastor James said that to me yesterday. Do you realize this can only be true if God is sovereign? And when we open our hands, trusting God with all of our hearts, we rest. The pressure is off. It's not up to us to run our world. It's not up to us to change our children. It's not up to us to fix that person. It's not up to us to deal with our situation and make it different. It's not up to us to, to, to make the things that we so badly want to experience down here that we know ultimately we have no control over. But yet we wrestle and we fight to gain. When you just entrust it to him, he can carry all of it. And you can be at rest. Because his goodness is going to chase you down. That's a promise. 
if you're in Christ Jesus. All things work together for good. Every molecule to those who are in Christ Jesus. And there will be moments when you stand before that situation. I'm going to promise you something right now. Some of you guys are in a pit. Some of you are in Potiphar's house. And some of you guys are in prison. But here's a promise. Just like Joseph stood before his brothers and he looked at them after it was all said and done and said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I promise you, I promise you, grounded on the sovereignty of God, that will be your reality as well. Now, do you hear what I'm saying? There is going to come a day in that place that you're trying to push the control button, that you are going to look at that thing that God said, nope, put your hand down. And you are going to stand in front of that thing in all that it brought you through, and you are going to declare just like Joseph did. The people around me, y'all meant it for evil. Satan, you meant it for evil. But my God, my God, the sovereign God, the God who's in total control, the God in Ephesians chapter 1 who unites all things according to the purpose of his will. The God in verse 11 who gave us an inheritance that works all things according to the purpose of his will. This God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This God. Meant it for good. And there is nothing in heaven or earth that can stand between that. This is our God. And so you have two choices with that area in your life that you want to control. One, you can keep trying to wrestle for control. How many of y'all want to keep wrestling? Because here's the reality. If you keep wrestling for control, here's what you have. And you tell me if you want. You're going to keep trying harder. You're going to deal with questioning God's wisdom, love, and care. You're going to start looking to false gods who can't measure up. You're going to be envying others all the time. And then you're going to end up angry, bitter, frustrated, and confused. Is that what you want? There's a reason why God tells us to step into the wonder and the grace of his control. Because here's the other option. You entrust it to God. And as you entrust it to God, this area of desire control, you can be guaranteed that his good pleasure is written over every molecule of that situation. And in that place, you can step into that reality by faith and you will find rest. What what choice will you make on this day? Well, as we just reflect first want to just have us reflect on the anniversary Sunday remembering his love and control in the past honestly and I want to talk to the leadership as well and all of the church members we don't know what the future holds for living way but here's what we can do we can remember all of the faithfulness that he's demonstrated in 23 years with his sovereign control over this church worship director or no worship director, building or no building, and all the other things that we desire for as a church. God has been in control for 23 years. He's not going to stop this year. So here's what I want you to do. I want you just for the next two minutes, take that area of desired control in your life. What is it? What is it? What is it right now where you could push the control button? You would. Take that thing. 
And if you're in Christ Jesus, this is the first thing I want you to see. And if you want to close your eyes, you can. One, I want you to see God's delight for you on his face. I want you to see his smile. As you're approaching the throne, it's a throne of grace. And I want you to see his good pleasure all over you right now. Feel it. See his smile. Secondarily, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remind yourself, I am not forgotten. Just just tell yourself right now, I am not forgotten in this. And then here's what I want you to do, because God can handle it. I want you to bring a question of frustration to him right now, maybe two. Just tell him why you're frustrated. Ask him a question that's at that deep place that just has you just bewildered, frustrated, angry, bitter. Ask him that question. And then I want you to say this to him. Ask him to give you the belief needed to relinquish the pursuit of control. Just ask him, God, will you give me the faith to relinquish control, a control that I don't even have? And then lastly, I want you to pray. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. God, will you grant me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that I might know hope. Ask him to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation right now that you might have your heart enlightened to know hope. God, we come before you right now. We thank you for 23 years. We thank you that you have sovereignly and in total control of our lives in this church. Thank you that you are over all things. And God, you have held this church together. You have held our lives together. You have held our souls in Christ together. And so, God, will you grant us the grace to believe even more deeply that you care about the sparrows? How much more do we not have to be anxious because you, the sovereign God, are caring for us? So, God, will you grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which we have been called, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe? God, will you 